Hello and welcome to the Warehouse Podcast. My name is Tyler and today I want to talk about spring training. Uh, Pitchers and catchers reported about a week ago. Position players reported this week. And as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm here in Sarasota, lovely Sarasota, Florida at Ed Smith Stadium. Doesn't seem like any of the players are here, but I kind of like it that way. I can kind of get in here, scope out the joint. No, I don't I don't technically have a press pass. I'm not legally supposed to be here, but I figured, you know what? It's spring. The games haven't started yet. I can get by. Um, so I think while I've got the time here on the field, I'm going to talk about some spring training topics here that I find relevant, what I actually care about in the spring, because let's be honest, it doesn't all matter. Um, and we'll talk about that as we go on. But I just have a few bullet points I want to get through here to talk about spring training for the Orioles, what's important, what's not and sort of what we're looking to get out of spring before late March rolls around, and hopefully the Orioles are starting their march towards another AL East title. So number one, what's the top priority for spring training? Unfortunately, it's something that the Orioles kind of failed already, and that's just to stay healthy. Um, We knew a couple weeks ago, or we learned a couple weeks ago, that both Kyle Bradish and John Means have some somewhat significant injuries. So for Kyle Bradish, it's a UCL sprain. He's received PRP injections for it. He's throwing off a flat ground, but not pitching yet. Clearly not going to be ready for the start of the regular season. And they're not even really putting a timetable on it. We know he's going to go on the IL. He's going to miss some time. I think at least a month, maybe two, maybe more um, before he's back on the mound. And that's really unfortunate. And, you know, the UCL is like the boogeyman of all baseball injuries, Tommy John isn't a guarantee from it, but it happens quite a lot. Remember, you know, obviously Felix Bautista, he heard his UCL last year. We were told, hey, yeah, he's going to need Tommy John, but he could potentially pitch through it to get through the playoffs. Ultimately, they determined that wasn't going to work, probably due to discomfort, um, and and he got the Tommy John surgery. Remember Shohei Otani, uh, he got hurt. They, you know, he was going into his free agency and his agent was saying, oh, you know, it's not really a big deal. It's not necessarily that he needs Tommy John. Um, He'll be fine. He can pitch. Of course, we know he got Tommy John. He's going to hit for the Dodgers this year, but not pitch. Um, You know, they're saying all the right things with Bradish. We have seen him throwing. He's clearly not pitching and going 100%. So I, I do honestly believe what they're saying in terms of he could still potentially pitch this year and pitch a lot. But UCL usually is bad news. Um, so we'll see there. It, it's it's obviously not an ideal situation, but it's not something that the Orioles, you know, caused during the spring here. Uh, they've known about it for a few months now. So that was one of the injuries. The other was John Means, which his is a little bit different where it doesn't sound like he is injured necessarily. We remember he had Tommy John, you know, almost two years ago now. He had it in, I think, April of 2022, missed most of 2022, most of 2023, came out, got back at the very end after suffering um, a setback with some back injuries, um, pitched well in a couple of starts, but then couldn't go in the ALDS due to some discomfort in that left, that throwing elbow that the Orioles essentially shut him down is what it sounds like. He didn't pitch in the ALDS. sounds like he didn't throw most of the offseason. And then he is about a month behind where I think he wanted to be for his throwing program. So will that equal him being on the IL for a month? Possibly. He has said that he wants to pitch in a game in April. Um, Obviously, the season starts at the end of March, so he could pitch at the end of April and that would have, have him on the shelf for about a month. So still not an ideal situation, but again, I'm not so sure he's hurt as much as they're like doing load management with him where they don't want him doing too much too fast. Hey, you've, you've had an injury history. 
um, a, a recent injury history. Let's take things slow and um, get you back on the field at a point where we're confident you're going to stay on the field long-term. Those are the big ones. In addition, Samuel Basayo also had a stress reaction in his right elbow, so he's not throwing. He's a prospect for the Orioles. Obviously, you want him to have a full, healthy, regular season if he is part of the you know potentially near-term future. He played some double-A last year. He's been rocketing up prospect boards this offseason. Clearly, he's somebody that's in the not-so-distant future for the Orioles, but he is still in the future for them. Basayo, I don't think, projects as a guy that was going to play in the majors this year regardless, obviously. Adley Rutschman is the Orioles catcher now and for the foreseeable future. James McCann is a very solid backup. Basayo still has some defensive stuff to work on. Obviously a fantastic hitter already, but Basayo likely wasn't going to make it to Baltimore anyway. So as far as the Orioles are concerned, it doesn't really impact their 2024 picture too much. But again, you want to see him healthy as much as possible to continue to develop. What would impact their season, though, is going to be Gunder Henderson if he has to miss any time. His sounds like the most minor of the bunch. He's got an oblique injury. Now, those can linger. We, we've seen that uh, with the Orioles. I remember um, Wei Yin Chen years ago had an issue with obliques. It seemed like he would hurt an oblique. We'd hear, oh, he'll be back in three weeks, and he'd miss a month or two. And it was just, you know, they just really seemed to nag him. Obviously, Gunnar Henderson as a hitter, a, a, a shortstop, you need your obliques. They're very important. So if he's going to miss any significant time, that's a bummer. I think right now hearing about it in, you know, mid-February to now late February, I'm not too worried about it. You're probably not going to see him in any spring games uh, until later in March, I would anticipate. I'm sure he's going to be doing work behind the scenes and, and he'll be ready to go for opening day. At least that's what the Orioles are saying. But for right now, um, we're not going to see Gunnar Henderson, I think, on the field too soon. So, you know, health is the big thing. I, you know, we'll talk about what doesn't matter here in a little bit. But at the end of the day, you've got the players you've got. You know, in general, what to expect from them. But you need them to be healthy in order to produce that way, you know. As the spring goes on, guys are going to get tweaks and things. You're going to hurt little things here and there. That's just part of playing a professional sport and playing any kind of sport. Honestly, you know, weekend warriors get hurt all the time, obviously. That's going to happen. Guys are going to get days off. There's going to be probably days where you hear about a guy who's not taking batting practice today or, you know, potentially a pitcher skips a bullpen or something. Like, these aren't necessarily catastrophic things. But in general, you want to avoid the IL stints. I think with the Orioles specifically, you're looking at the outfield where Cedric Mullins had two IL stints last year with groin injuries. Austin Hayes, I think, avoided the IL last year, but really struggled in the second half of the season. Potentially, that was some injury-related stuff. I think you just want to you want to be mindful of that and just get out of the Grapefruit League relatively unscathed. The Orioles aren't going to be able to do that, uh, unfortunately, just due to some preseason stuff. But from this point forward, I think you just want to keep your guys healthy and as close to 100% as can be. Now, because of these health issues that have popped up, that has opened up another thing as far as a spring training storyline that I think we need to be mindful of. And that's just going to be the Orioles pitching situation in general. Um, a few weeks ago, when the Corbin Burns trade went down, it seemed like the rotation was set and it seemed like it was a rotation that was going to be, you know, maybe not the best rotation in baseball, but I think you can pretty easily have made a case for them being like a top 10 rotation. Um, you know, you got Corbin Burns at the top, Kyle Bradish right behind him. Grayson Rodriguez in third after having such a spectacular season and potentially, or I'm sorry, a, sp a spectacular second half of the season and then looking like a future ace himself. John Means in the fourth spot, you know, he's got the injury stuff, but we've seen Means at the top of his game. And I think, you know, him at 100%, he's probably not four on m just about any other rotation in baseball. That would be a very impressive fourth. 
And then Dean Kramer, we talk about on this podcast all the time. He's like the ideal five pitcher in my mind. He's a guy that's going to go out there and give you the innings. He's going to give you a solid enough ERA. He's going to keep you competitive in the game. And then he's going to hand over the ball to your bullpen in the sixth inning and, you know, say, Hey guys, I got him within one or we're up by a run or two. Like let's, let's take care of business here. And that's, that's really impressive. And now flash forward two weeks and we're just not quite there anymore. Um, it, it sort of feels like where we were, I think last year around September, August before means came back where you had Bradish and Rodriguez and Kramer and then like Cole Irvin was stepping in and it, it just, it was solid. You, you kind of swap Bradish for Burns in terms of like overall quality of the rotation now. Um, it was good. Uh, I think, you know, it felt more average overall versus really high end where we are now, where we were two weeks ago, or we thought we were two weeks ago. I guess we never really were there, um, but us as fans didn't didn't know that. So presumably Tyler Wells and Cole Irvin are going to slot into the rotation for the time being. That hasn't been like announced by the Orioles or anything. Um, but you would assume Tyler Wells, who has these last two seasons been a very competent starter for the Orioles in the first half of the season before he kind of runs out of gas. I would imagine they feel pretty confident in putting him into the rotation to start the year. And then they can do sort of similar to what they did, uh, last year, obviously, you know, hopefully ahead of time, you know, before he really craters like he did last year, but they can they can pull back if and when they get the opportunity to. I guess, you know, right now we don't really know if they're going to get that opportunity, but I think they feel pretty good about Tyler Wells. He's he's shown himself to be a capable major league starter, if not one that has um, a ton of, you know, longevity there. Cole Irvin, I think Cole Irvin, we get kind of a sour taste in our mouth from Irvin because when the Orioles traded for him prior to 2023, we were kind of told, hey, this is like your dependable back-end rotation guy. Um and then we saw him pitch and it was just a disaster right out of the right out of the shoot. He was he was the opposite of what we were told he was going to be. He he didn't limit walks. He gave up a lot of runs. He didn't pitch very much or like for very long. He would get knocked out of after two or three innings. And it was like, wow, this is a disaster of a deal. But then we saw him later in the season as he had to kind of pop in for guys who, you know, went on the IL or when the Orioles went to that six man rotation for a little bit. And he was pretty solid. Like, I'm not going to say he's a guy that's going to go up there and win you a Cy Young award, but he can do a job. I, I remember a start, I think it was in Seattle, if I'm remembering correctly. I know it was a West Coast performance where he went like six innings, no runs. Like, obviously, that's cherry picking one particular, you know, great start of his. But in general, like, you felt like you could compete every time Cole Irvin went out there after he had come back from sort of his extended trip to Norfolk to kind of work out some things. He came back, he was pounding the zone he was making it through enough innings that you felt good about it wasn't giving up a ton of runs like he was as advertised I think in the second half of the season so again I think you feel okay about him coming in and doing a job for a little bit it's just not the high end like pennant contending type of rotation that you thought you had two weeks ago um that seems you know but but in general I think it seems fine it's it's middle of the road but it's not as high end as we were hoping at the same time though you add Wells and Irvin to the rotation and you're taking them away from the bullpen. Irvin is, I don't know if I'd say an ideal swingman because I think he is probably a starter on a lot of teams in the league, but he fills that swingman role really well where he can give you three run three, three innings on a Sunday when the starter gets knocked out early 
And then he can maybe even come back on Friday and do a spot start for you. If maybe that like the pitcher on Sunday got hurt or something. And that's why he had to give you the three innings. Like you feel okay with, or you feel good. I think honestly with Irvin in that role, now that role has to go to somebody else. Keegan Aiken, Bruce Zimmerman, like we've seen that before. And, you know, while both of them have had um, runs in the big leagues that have been good, they've had performances that have been good in general. I think, you know, what you've got in Aiken and Zimmerman, and it's certainly less than what you have from, from Cole Irvin. And then on Tyler Wells, I think, you know, with the loss of DL Hall in the Burns trade and uh, Felix Bautista to Tommy John, you felt like Tyler Wells could come in and he, he obviously isn't going to be the closer, but was a guy that could be like your seventh inning guy maybe and really lock things down because as solid as we've seen him be as a rotation piece, I think he's been more impressive in the bullpen where stuff plays up a little bit more. He's a, he's a reliever that has more pitches than most relievers do where they've got like two offerings. He kind of gives you that third dimension that a lot of relievers don't have. And I think the Orioles could have really been depending on that. And now maybe we still get that. It doesn't feel like we're going to get that at least out of the gate. So if you think about the bullpen now, you've got, I think as the guys that are like, if we assume Irvin and Wells are in the rotation, which again, that's not set in stone, but given the current setup, that's I think probably what's logical. Then the bullpen right now, as far as guys that are locked in is Kimbrel, Cano, Coulomb, Perez, and Tate. So that's five. You have three more you can add because you can have 13 pitchers, 13 hitters. The next guys on the list, I, I assume are Aiken and Zimmerman. You you think maybe one of them makes it as like a, as a swingman type. Then you've got Brian Baker, Jacob Webb, Mike Bauman. I think of that group. Bauman's probably the most intriguing. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Bauman fan. I know he hasn't, I think he doesn't, he hasn't played as well as his stuff would indicate he should, but in general, I like his, his repertoire pretty, pretty much. Um, I think he could do a job. We know the Brian Baker experience is a roller coaster that I don't know that the Orioles or the fans really want to experience again. And then Jacob Webb it was a guy they claimed off the scrap heap last year. He worked out well early, kind of fell apart at the end, and then obviously um, he gave up a grand slam in the ALDS. And I think that's not that that's put the nail in his coffin or anything. They've, they've kept him all offseason, but um, it doesn't make you feel totally great uh, going into this season. And then you've got this season's scrap heap pickups, which are, you know, a, a couple of them are just this week. Caleb Ort uh, from the Phillies, I think. And then Matt Crook from the Yankees. And then they traded for a Jonathan Easley from the Royals uh, back in December. You know, you don't want to look at those guys' big league numbers. They're just not interesting. <laughs> they're they're depressing, if anything. Um, so, you know, maybe the Orioles can piece some of that together. I think if you look at recent history, you, you, you would think that they can. They can find something to to key in on and make those guys perform above their previous level. But as it stands now, you don't feel great about that. And then going back to the guys that are already locked in, one of which is Dylan Tate. He's coming off of a completely lost season in 2023 where the injury stuff was up and down. He was coming back, he was rehabbing. And then it was like, it's, it's done. He's, he's out for the year. Um, that's the question mark for me. I think Dylan Tate, you know, on this podcast, I think Jesse's a big fan of Dylan Tate and the way he pitches. For me, as a reliever, I don't love it. Um, he doesn't strike out a ton of guys. He does a lot of con has a lot of contact, and to me, that's probably fine if you want him to pitch from the beginning of an inning. You're probably going to get through okay, but he's not a guy you can go to. You know, if a pitcher gets through six and a third, 
and then the two, three, four hitters are coming up with a man on first base. Like you probably don't want to go to Dylan Tate there because the ball's going to be in play a runners on base. Like that feels dicey to me. So to me, it's just like not the sure handed guy you want to go to. And then, you know, the rest of the guys, it's a bullpen. So it's a major league bullpen where there's, there's guys. I, I don't know that you hundred percent buy all the time. Anyway, I think Cino Perez and Danny Coulomb kind of fit in there. Obviously, Perez was spectacular um, in the second half of last year. Coulomb ebbed and flowed, but in general was pretty steady. Um, you know, Yenier Cano had the tremendous start to the year, wobbled a little bit in there the mini, in, in the middle, then pulled it together in September. It's just, it's a big league rotation, and there's not a lot of, like, surefire guys, especially now that Bautista's not back there. I think Craig Kimbrell will do a fine job in the ninth inning, but he's not Felix Bautista. And that's a big, a big letdown. And to, then to have the, the supporting cast be, I think lesser than now because Wells and Irvin are presumably in the bull or in the rotation is worrisome too. But, you know, I, I kind of give Michael Elias and his team the benefit of the doubt here and assume that they can figure something out, turn one of these scrap heap guys into a viable, you know, middle relief pitcher and things will be okay. Related to that, if means isn't really injured at this point, if there's nothing like structurally wrong with him and he's not uncomfortable, he's just a month behind because they're slow playing him to make sure that once he's on the field, he's staying on the field, then this might be a much minor issue. I think if, if he comes back in April, as he's saying, okay, we got through the early part of the season. Now Wells or Irvin, you can go back to the bullpen. I think maybe in that situation, I maybe put Wells back in the bullpen because Irvin his his impact day to day in the bullpen is probably less than Wells. Irvin is a guy that if he's a long man, you're going to use him maybe once a week. Wells, you're going to use him two to three times a week. I think that you maybe swap means and Wells and now, okay, means is is healthy and he's back to being like our our number three or four, depending on how you view him in compare compared to Dean Kramer. Now you're feeling pretty good again. You're obviously down Kyle Bradish, a Cy Young candidate from a year ago, and that's not ideal. But you have Corbin Burns. You have, I think, in totality, a better rotation than you had a season ago when you didn't have Corbin, Corbin Burns. Um, so that feels pretty good. And, you know, like I said before, I think the Orioles will probably turn somebody that we don't know about right now or, or we don't aren't thinking a lot about into a viable option like a Caleb Ort, Jonathan Easley, Matt Crook, one of those guys will probably pan out to some degree. And then, you know, as I talk about all the time on here, in terms of like team building or how you approach a season, I think Mike Elias thinks a lot about like surviving and getting through portions of the season, not necessarily putting your 100% best foot forward all the time. Because if he was trying to be like the best possible team the Orioles organization can compile, then you're probably calling up certain guys you're making trades, you're optioning guy. Like it's just not how it works. It's sort of like you need to massage the roster a certain way. And I kind of view April as him sort of massaging the roster. Like they probably could have had John means throw earlier in the off season. And he'd be ready for opening day, but does that maybe take him away in September or does that maybe force him on the IL at some point in the summer? They don't want to do that. So they're kind of massaging and finessing things early on. And to me right now, that seems like a smart play. Again, if John Means isn't really hurt and it is sort of just a choice to have him start the season on the IL, essentially. Um, and then, of course, you're buying time when you're doing that. You're buying time for Bradish to hopefully get to a point where he's feeling healthy and, and maybe the PRP injections do do something. Like like we've said before on here about um, about UCLs, I think with in relation to the Felix Bautista injury back in October, Masahiro Tanaka is a guy that had – 
a UCL injury, went on the IL, but never got Tommy John and had a really productive career for the Yankees. And then I think he went back to Japan and is still pitching today and, and still hasn't had the Tommy John. So, you know, it, it doesn't have to happen. It's just, it usually does happen. So in the off chance that it doesn't, then the Orioles are in good, good, uh, in a good situation for, you know, May or June when Kyle Bradish potentially is coming back again, we don't have a timetable there. In addition to Bradish, the Orioles do have some young guys that I think could kind of be ready to take that that next step. And, you know, maybe they're not going to be in the Kyle Bradish mold or even like, like, you know, not a Corbin Burns, like an ace type. But these guys that are ready to step in and be like that back end rotation piece or those innings fillers in terms of Seth Johnson and Cade Povich and Chase McDermott, like those guys are getting close to being ready. And if you can let them marinate a little bit longer in Norfolk, then they might be ready to come up in May or June and, you know, maybe maybe take some innings from Cole Irvin if he's not pitching well or, or something like that. Or if there's another injury, you know, heaven forbid, they might be ready to make that jump and provide some quality innings there. So you're kind of just buying time in April. I think if you take a look at the Orioles schedule, while, you know, we don't necessarily know anything for sure about any of these teams early on, the Orioles April schedule is fairly, fairly light. You know, that can always change. We, like I said, these projections can change and teams could be a lot better than we expect them to be. But as it stands right now, the Orioles have a fairly easy um, start to the season, and maybe that helps make some of these decisions as well. And then, of course, there's the outside chance of Elias pulling off something major, perhaps a trade for Jesus Lazardo or Dylan Cease or maybe even a signing of Jordan Montgomery. That, of course, upends everything. And now you're going, all right, we're back, baby. We are. <laughs> we've got we've got Jordan Montgomery, who, you know, was the basically I think probably the best trade acquisition last season. He didn't do amazing in the playoffs, but he was good enough. And obviously the Rangers won the World Series, but he was so good in the second half. Like maybe he's got some of that magic still. And depending on the contract, like people are talking about with with him or even Blake Snell, like some sort of short term high AAV deal where you get another bite at the apple next year. Maybe the Orioles give him a one year, 35 million deal to say, hey, Jordan, like come show people you weren't a second half wonder or whatever. Like you're more than just an innings eater. You're a legitimate number one or number two. Like maybe that's something that that makes sense for them. And then and then we're um we're, we're talking about a totally different, different situation here, but in general, kind of the, the big point there was the pitching needs to be sorted out. I think if you're talking about like any sort of position battle, I don't even know if it's a battle. It's just sort of the Orioles getting their ducks in a row and like organizing with like, okay, who are our five starters in general five, maybe you go six, maybe you go four early on. Cause you have off days or whatever, but who are the starters? And then who is the bullpen? The bullpen is a little bit of a question mark right now. I think, like we said, we've got those five probably locked in, and then the other three spots are sort of up for grabs a little bit. Um, so we'll find out that as the season or as the as the preseason and spring training go on, um, we'll find out who who kind of steps up and, and takes care of business there. And then on to my next point, which is what doesn't matter. And I'll say this is a little bit tongue in cheek here, but the stats don't matter. Um, I'll say the stats don't really matter until about mid-March and and the reason I say that is early on anyway they always say the pitchers are ahead of the hitters you know the pitchers get in there a week early the pitchers have been throwing all season the pitchers don't necessarily have to catch up to hitters or whatever they're they're working in the offseason to go to throw harder more accurate they're working on pitches they can work on all those things without a batter in front of them and probably be as productive Whereas, pit, whereas hitters need to face the live pitching. They need to see the ball coming out of the hand. They need to see the velocity. They need to see the movement. And they can't really replicate that 
in the offseason. There's not a ready-made big league pitcher willing to pitch to live hitters in December. It's just not how it works. So the pitchers are always ahead of the hitters. And then the pitchers are also working on those new offerings, like I said, which there can be outings where, you know, there's a guy who's typically a starter and he'll throw one inning in his first spring training outing. And it'll be a start where he throws exclusively his splitter. Like he's not trying to fool hitters. He's not trying to spot up or anything necessarily. He's just throwing this offering over and over again in live action on the field. And he ends up giving up three runs and, and one and a, and a home run and walks two. And it's like, wow, those numbers look horrible. And he's our ACE or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, but in the context, he was doing something specific that he would never do in a regular season game. But given that this game doesn't hold any real weight to this pitcher, he's going to try something and just work on some stuff. And for us as viewers, it's impossible to know when that is happening necessarily, especially like, you know, TV coverage and, and radio coverage is so spotty with these grapefruit league games and, and the, and the cactus league out in Arizona is you don't exactly know when it's going on. And if you listen to like the radio broadcast, especially like it's so localized in baseball, and like, I remember last year, the Orioles were playing the Pirates because the Orioles and Pirates play like every two days in spring training. Um, and the Pirates, you know, if the Pirates radio broadcast is the only one available, they're going to do stuff that caters to the Pirates audience. So while the Orioles are hitting, they'll have on some like Pirates legend and they'll talk about some some restaurant he's opening in town and they'll go over the stuff there. And then they'll give you like little tidbits of what's happening on the field in the background. And it's like. It's nice just to have baseball on, but I can't say that I'm learning a whole lot about the Orioles by having this this radio on right now. You know what I mean? So we're not getting that context. And so then we can't really put a lot of weight on the stats that are coming out of those instances. Um, and then there's also like the fact that there's minor leaguers sprinkled in there. And you don't not that you don't know when a pitcher is facing a minor league hitter or vice versa. But then in the stats, everything is blended together now baseball reference does do a nice thing where if you go on a player's baseball reference page during the spring they'll give you like quality of opponent essentially and it'll be like on a scale of i think zero to ten maybe and you can kind of gauge oh, okay so this guy is hitting you know 380 and he's gone he's hit five home runs in seven games like that's amazing and then you look at his quality of opponents like 5.5 because he's faced like single a pitchers and and this rule five pick, and it's like, oh, okay, like this guy might be good, but he's not the, the next Barry Bonds or something like that. So the stat sheet can be very deceptive. I would say don't look at the stat sheet too terribly much until you maybe you can start looking at box scores a little bit later in the spring. I would say like the second half of March even, because at that point, the minor leaguers are being reassigned. The starting pitchers are starting to go four innings instead of one inning. They're keeping the big league team or the big league lineup on the field for seven innings instead of three or four innings like things are starting to look more and more like a real regular season game and now there's still some funny business in there so I still you can't it's not one-to-one -one, but in general you start to feel a little bit better about the numbers that come out on you know March 16th versus February 28th it's just it's a different ball game there um but I think there are some things in there that you do want to keep an eye on um, in terms of like peripheral performance. Right. And that's like late, like especially later in the spring, but in general, are, are the pitchers velocity starting to look like what they should? Is this guy that normally throws 96 miles per hour? Is he, is he throwing 96 miles per hour? Is he throwing 95 miles per hour? Is he in the ballpark or is he at like 91, 90? And that's just not going to work three weeks from now in Camden yards. Like what's that looking like? Is the ball coming off the bat? 
hard for hitters. Is the ball coming off the ball off the bat hard? You can get some of that that data from Statcast throughout the the spring. Or is he getting a lot of ground balls? Is he getting the ball up in the air? Is he whiffing a lot? Like quality of contact can matter. It's not always going to have the result you want. And even, you know, even that has some noise in it. But in general, you can kind of draw some conclusions from it that you can't necessarily when you're just looking at at a stat sheet where he went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts and and a ground out and a line out. Like there might be some more um, some some more interesting information there that we're not we're not getting uh, totally from the box score. And then, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of these things revert back to the, the first point, which was health. Are these guys healthy? Um, is the base runner, is the base runner getting down the line in the way you should, you know, back to the velocity point, if a guy's throwing 90 instead of 95, is there an issue there? Um, if the bat's not coming off the, if the ball's not coming off the bat hard enough, is there an issue there? Like, are these guys staying healthy? And if they're not, let's sit them down for a little bit and maybe reduce their workload for a few days and see if there's just maybe they're not ready for that much this fast. Like maybe they're, they're not quite in the shape that they need to be just yet. That's okay. We can get there, but there's no reason to continue to do things on a body. That's less than, you know, 90, 95% at this point in the year. Like let's, let's uh let's be smart about this. And, and then finally, you know, these players have reams of data just back to the stats in the spring. These players have reams of data on them throughout their, you know, amateur and professional careers up to this point that in general, we can, we know what to expect from a player, in an upcoming season. Of course, those projections can be wrong. They can be crazy wrong in some cases, but in general, they're fairly close to the reality that we're going to get. So if a guy has a, a, a spring where he's batting 150 for some reason, like it's not necessarily cause for panic. Like let's not think about that too much. Let's listen to some reports from people on the ground. Let's hear about things they're doing in the batting cage or on the side sessions. Like some of that stuff can matter more than on the field production. So in general, I don't want you to tell, I want, I don't want to tell you to not watch the games and to not look at the stat sheet because that's the fun of the sport is watching and enjoying the sport, but don't let it overwhelm you and, and blind you from what you do know about these players, which is that they are very good or very bad or whatever. It goes both ways. There can be a really mediocre or poor player that's having a nice spring. Uh, and for Orioles fans, we all remember, or if you're, if you're too young, maybe you don't remember the spring of Jake Fox years ago, where he was crushing the ball all over, I think, Fort Lauderdale at the time. And then I think he was DFA'd uh, midway through that that following regular season. So don't don't put too much stock in, in anything that happens on the field this spring. So then the one major caveat there, of course, I think is a player that a lot of us, if you've clicked on a video about Orioles spring training expectations, you're probably wanting to hear about Jackson Holiday. And of course, like, He's a unique situation there. And then the question around him is, is he going to make the team for opening day? Um, he's been asked about it several times and he keeps saying like, that's the goal. Like, it'd be pretty cool. It'd be pretty neat to make the opening day roster as a 20 year old. Who's got like one plus years of professional baseball experience. Like that'd be pretty neat. And the Orioles aren't, aren't uh, keeping it, you know, they're, they're not making a secret of it that he's got a shot here. Michael Elias said back in the winter meetings, like, he might do it. Like he's been an impressive young player who went from, you know, they talk about his, as an amateur, he went from being like sort of a back of the first round type talent to the first overall pick in the draft. He's rocketed through the minor leagues, even got up to triple a last year. And naturally that puts you on the doorstep of the major leagues and the Orioles, they have room on the infield as good and talented as the Orioles infield is it. 
there's room for another player there. Because if you look at it, you assume first base where he's not Jackson Holiday isn't part of the conversation at first base, but that can impact other positions on the infield. But first base, you assume is going to be that that platoon of Mountcastle and O'Hearn. You probably get Anthony Santander over there a little bit, Heston Kerstad potentially. But in general, first base, you know, that's pretty much covered. Jordan Westberg, we assume, is going to play just about every day. He was more of a part-time player last year. It sounds like they're pushing to make him an everyday guy. Of course, he's going to have to earn that. But in general, it sounds like he's going to work on second and third base, potentially bounce between the two of those and play a lot more this year. Gunnar Henderson, we know, is going to play every day. Is it at shortstop? Is it at third base? We'll see. And then the Orioles are making it kind of clear with a couple of other guys, or, or at least with one other guy, Jorge Mateo, that he's going to play the outfield a lot, at least in the spring. He's he's played outfield before with the Padres. He played a little bit last year. Clearly very athletic, very fast. He can do it, but hasn't done it a lot in a long time. They're going to put him out there in the spring and in games, it sounds like. And that makes sense because the Orioles don't have too many obvious center field options beyond Cedric Mullins. I, we know Colton Kowser can do it. I think it's not his preferred position by him or the organization. Anthony Santander did play center field a long time ago. I, I don't think that's going to happen this year. Austin Hayes, I think, could do it in a pinch. But in general, if you want to maintain like the level of performance, it's going to have to be Cedric Mullins most of the time and then him being spelled by someone like a Jorge Mateo occasionally because, as we said earlier, Mullins had the two groin injuries last year. They don't want that to happen again. Not that that happened in the field, but if you can keep him off his feet, you know, once a week or once every two weeks, I think that's probably preferred. And if Jorge Mateo can handle it, um, it makes a lot of sense. He hits lefties really well. Cedric Mullins historically doesn't hit lefties as well. It's It makes a lot of sense that if you've got, uh, you know, if Carlos Rodon bounces back for the Yankees this year, if there's a, a day where the Orioles are facing Carlos Rodon, you'd say, hey, Cedric, let's take a day. Jorge, you crush lefties. You're fast. You can play center. You're going to take center today. I think that makes a lot of sense. But it takes him out of the, the shortstop equation, which is, you know, where he didn't win a gold glove, but probably should have two years ago. We know he's capable on the dirt. Um, that that takes him away from innings there. And so there's a void there that I don't know the Orioles have anybody else on the big league roster or the assumed big league roster that they feel confident playing shortstop beyond Gunnar Henderson. Jackson Holiday, we know, can do that. Although we've seen Jackson Holiday already is taking a lot of grounders at second base in like the early parts of spring training. So maybe that's more where they're going. And then there's Ramon Urias, who is kind of lurking in the background as sort of like the jack of all trades, master of none. He's got a gold glove in his back pocket at third base a couple seasons ago. Last year had sort of a regression for him. Didn't play quite as much. Didn't play third base quite as much. Um, and it just wasn't quite as good as it was in 2022. But he's still a very solid player. He's, a, he's I think, in general, still an above-average baseball player all the way around besides maybe speed he's not particularly fast but he's again not slow he's he's like a very very good solid baseball player that you I think feel confident in plugging him in just about anywhere on the infield again he's probably not the preferred option at shortstop but he's done it he's probably not the preferred option at first base but he's done it like Ramon Urias is a great safety net for the Orioles if they want to go that way but I think at the same time there's also a clear way to upgrade from him if the Orioles want to eventually and will eventually do. And I think the point there is just that there's nobody standing in holidays way. There's not an all-star 
uh, you know, Gunnar Henderson, it's tough to say what position he plays because he bounces between short and third, but assume he's the shortstop. There's no, there's no all-star at third base that the Orioles have to get in there and holiday needs to weasel his way in. Like the innings are there if, and when Jackson holiday is ready to do it. And you know, the, the, the point there is that he's going to have to force the issue though. Like he's only played 13 games at triple a, which is not a lot, but it's something. And Elias said that he held his own at triple a last year, which is true. He had a six ninety or I'm sorry, seven ninety six OPS. I think he was like a one Oh nine OPS plus. So like slightly above average for the level, but certainly not dominating it or mastering it, which is something that Elias has said he wants prospects to do historically, but he's at big league camp this year. He's going to be playing against essentially a triple a, like maybe triple a plus uh, level of talent for most of the, the spring. You know, when you've got the games of the mix of the big leagues and the triple a and the double a guys, like you're going to have basically that level of, of competition. And if he performs, I know just I just said to not really look at the numbers, but there's going to be a pretty loud argument from the the bleachers that why would we not have this guy on the team when we're trying to win a World Series this year? He is one of our top 26 players, so why not have him on the roster? But the thing is, you know, the Orioles don't have to. They don't have to promote him. They aren't desperate, as we just talked about. Urias can play infield, and, and maybe if you played at a major league game right now, you'd feel a little bit more confident with Urias instead of Holiday simply because of experience. Like it would be no, no slight to Holiday to have a poor game his first week or two or whatever in the big leagues, whereas Urias has been there, done that. Maybe he'd have a little bit more of a solid base around him. But there's there's no – the Orioles don't have to do it. They've, they've got a very solid infield group as it is. So he, again, has to force the issue. However, the Orioles do have an incentive here. They, they have the – the potential compensation pick in the 2025 draft if holiday were to win rookie of the year, which if they wait on that, if they say, okay, he needs a little more seasoning. We want to send him back to AAA. Okay. How much seasoning does he need? Because if he comes back in a month, well, he wasn't on the roster early enough to get um, the compensation, but now he might be on the roster long enough to win rookie of the year anyway. And then he's going to get the full year of, of uh, service time. So we kind of just screwed ourselves in two ways where he's going to get the service time and we're not going to get the pick. Like that's a bummer. And and just sort of as context here, the, the, the draft pick is a high pick. The Orioles got 32nd overall pick in the coming draft because Gunnar Henderson won rookie of the year last year. And what that allowed them to do was to make their competitive balance a pick, which was 34th overall, much more expendable. And they used that to trade for Corbin Burns this year. If if Gunnar Henderson doesn't win rookie of the year last year and earn the Orioles that compensatory pick, I don't know that Corbin Burns is an Oriole right now. Or and maybe he is, but they'd have to give up a Kobe Mayo or something. And not not to say that they would do that, but they'd have to have a make weight of some kind if the pick isn't there. Now, we should say that the Orioles are likely to get a compensatory pick right back for Burns when he, in likelihood, signs elsewhere this coming offseason. But in general, still, you'd get that compensatory pick back for in exchange for potentially a prospect you gave up rather than a pick that you don't necessarily have to assign um, a player to in your mind. Like, that pick's gone. The Brewers have always had that pick in your mind now. 
they've they've drafted and it's different from what the Orioles would have done with it. So that makes that a little easier. But that pick is worth a lot in in terms in those terms. So I think they have to think long and hard about that. And if you're you say, okay, we aren't going to get the pick for him because he needs more seasoning. Okay, well, now we kind of need to leave him down even longer because we don't want him to get we don't want to not get the pick and for him to get that extra year or the 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 service time now. We need to leave him down until potentially past the super two deadline, you know, which is always always moving target that you're kind of just guessing on year to year. We need to leave him down there even longer because we don't want to screw ourselves twice. At the very least, we want to get that extra year of service time from him. And then that starts to feel a little bit icky and a little bit like service time manipulation, which is exactly what it would be at that point. So I think the Orioles are in a tough spot right now. They're going to probably make him force the issue in the spring. And I think, I think right now to me, it feels like he's not going to make the opening day roster just because he's got so little experience at AAA. He's so young. The major league infield for the Orioles is still good. They are not necessarily a player short there. And I think you can make the argument like there are still things you could do better. There's still things where people say he's probably not the fielder that Gunnar Henderson is yet at shortstop. Okay, so then what are we doing? Why are we bringing him up just to play second base? Like, okay, but long term, is he a shortstop? Then let's maybe wait until we feel more confident about his glove work. Make him the shortstop. Make Gunnar the, you know, think about things that way in terms of a long term play. Um, I still don't, I just, I don't quite know that I think he's gonna happen just yet, but clearly he's on the doorstep and potentially banging down the door here directly, but we'll learn a lot about that this spring. And then I think that whatever happens there has a direct impact on the sort of peripheral of the roster, because as we just said, if holiday is on the opening day roster, it gets tougher to see where Ramon Urias does play. There's room there with holiday, but you add Holiday, Gunner, Westberg. That's your starting second, short third in some order. Yes, Urias could play third. He could play second. But then again, you know, those two can swap. And then there is still Mateo there where he can come in and, and kind of spell at shortstop. And you could then let Gunner move to third. Like there's those moving parts that do we want to keep Ramon Urias in spite of that? When what we could do with Ramon Urias is trade him for a good bullpen arm that we really need like maybe there's some potential move there like it just does make him more expendable so a holiday addition there makes that a little more interesting and then you're promoting a zero experience rookie in holiday that can make it tougher on the Orioles bringing up somebody like Kowser or Kerstad to the opening day roster you know we've seen the Orioles try to like stagger their youngsters promotions in recent seasons they don't like to have like too many guys going through the growing pains at the same time now you know we saw Kowser and Kerstad already play in the big leagues last year. Obviously, Kowser struggled. Kerstad, I think, did some good things, albeit with a higher um, strikeout rate than you probably would like. But in general, I think you felt pretty good about Heston Kerstad's opening day, or I'm sorry, about his initial big league um, cup of coffee there. But that's a lot of rookies all at the same time. Would they do that? And then with Kerstad and Kowser, they have the same draft pick stipulations as Holiday. Even though they've played in the big leagues, they still are eligible if they make the opening day roster and then win or finish high enough in the rookie of the year voting. They can they can earn the Orioles um, a draft pick or an international draft pick. I, I forget the exact stipulations, but that's another sort of calculation the Orioles uh, need to make there. So that's a lot to think about. And it's 
I, I'm not so sure I see all three of them making the team or maybe even two of them. Like if holiday makes it, that could make the Orioles think twice there. So it's a lot there and, and the holiday decision impacts a lot of other stuff. And I think ultimately what I lean on is Mike Elias wanting to be as flexible as possible with his roster. And I think that keeping Ramon Urias on the team probably keeps them as flexible as they would like to be now, because you can always call up these younger guys. You can't bring back Ramon Urias. If they do decide to DFA him, he's likely gone um, because he could start on a number of other teams in the league uh, today. So that's something to think about there. Again, they're not all mutually exclusive, but they are relative to one another because at the end of the day, there's only 26 spots on the opening day roster. But I think the holiday thing and sort of the ever-present questions in the bullpen sort of represent the only spring battles for the Orioles. This is kind of the section where I would I would love to talk about all the spring battles, like the battle for the fifth spot in the rotation, or you know who's going to be the setup man, or who's going to be like the fourth outfielder. Like I think those kind of exist, but we sort of know the answers already. I think the bullpen's kind of going to be cobbled together, and I don't know that it's a terribly interesting conversation right now because it's such a, a gobbledygook mess of sort of scrap heap pickups that I don't have any sort of preference for. Like I said before, I think I like Mike Bauman making the team, but then beyond that, I'm sort of, I'm sort of apathetic on the rest of the guys. I, I sort of defer to, you know, who's got the big velo, who's got like the unique pitch that the Orioles think they can work with and, and make work uh, during the season. And then the rotation right now, if, if means and Bradish are on the IL to start the year, which it does sound like they will, then it naturally seems like Wells and Irvin are going to be the guys. Now, of course, if Elias goes rogue and does make a move to bring in some external talent, like now we're, now we're cooking with gas a little bit because that pushes somebody out of the rotation to the bullpen. Now the bullpen's a little bit more deep and you can make the argument that now all the scrap heap guys are fighting for like one spot rather than two spots. And then of course, if holiday makes the team that again, makes things more interesting. But I think in general, like the Orioles are in a really good spot right now, even with like the known injuries to Bradish and means this is still a really solid, strong crew that should be competitive in 2024. They should win a lot of games. Are they going to win 101? I don't know, but I think I feel like they're going to win more than like the 86 or whatever Pakoda projected them for. They just feel like a stronger team than that. And they feel like a team ascending rather than, than descending, which is sort of what a lot of the projections kind of, uh, attach them to so I'm hoping like for a relatively calm spring training for the Orioles I don't want a lot to happen in the spring I, I I would love to see great numbers on the stat sheet but again it doesn't really matter I just want people to stay healthy because this current crew is really good it's it's the best like core of talent the Orioles have had I think in my lifetime maybe I you know I was around in the late 90s but I wasn't watching baseball yet maybe that crew was more talented all, all in all but in my baseball watching lifetime, this is the most talented team they've ever had. And coming off of a 101 season, 101 win season, rather, um, the sky's the limit for this crew. So just stay healthy. I, I want to hear more about being in the best shape of your life. I want to hear more about games of Settlers of Catan at the house where Adley Rutschman, Colton Kowser, Ryan Mountcastle, Kyle Stowers, and Gunnar Henderson are all living because that's a real thing that's happening. Go look that up on the Baltimore Banners um TikTok or on their YouTube page like that's real I want to hear all about that fun stuff and then opening day rolls around and I want all our guys ready to go um minus the ones we already know aren't going to be there so I think that's what I care about in spring training um so before we wrap up I just want to 
let you know that if you like what you heard or what you saw, you can subscribe to us. We are we are available on YouTube. If you're listening to this on a podcast service like Apple Podcasts, go over to YouTube, give us a subscription. It's free. We're, as I record this, we're at 165 subscribers on YouTube. I'd love to get to 200 by opening day. We've got a little over a month to do that. And at the pace we've been on right now, I think we can do it. So please, if you're interested, give us a subscription there and it would be awesome. You could also give us a thumbs up, like the video. That helps us get to more Orioles fans. And that's kind of what we're all about here. We want to reach as many Orioles fans as possible and, and get the conversation going. And then you can also reach us on, on social media at the Warehouse Pod on X, Instagram, and threads. I'll be more active on the threads as the season heats up. Um, haven't haven't posted a lot over there, but give us a follow. And you can also email us at thewarehousepod at gmail.com. And we do have a sub stack where I'll start to write some stuff here as the season uh, revs up as well, thewarehousepod.substack.com. Links for all that stuff is going to be in the description of the YouTube video and on the podcast that you're listening to. And you know, if you're on uh, YouTube right now, leave me a comment and tell me what you're looking forward to during spring training. What do you want to learn from the Orioles? in spring training, and I'll do the best I can to respond to all of them. But that's all I've got for now. Um, I, I really appreciate you guys listening and, and watching. We'll be back on here later this week with another video for you. Maybe there's some news to break uh, or some things to dissect. But until then, this has been the Warehouse Podcast. I've been Tyler, and thank you for listening.